Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. When I was about 13 or 14, uh, the church where I was at had a visiting youth choir from Indiana. And we had to put them up for a night. There, we'd farm them out in various homes. And so I took three guys about my age to, to our house. At the time, I had my own room, which had a double bed, and we had a rollaway bed. We brought the rollaway bed into my room. Two guys slept in the rollaway bed, one guy slept with me. <clears throat> So we thought we could make all this work, and I, of course I talked with mom and dad about it and got their permission, but I don't think they knew what they were in for because when we got there that night, everybody was hungry. And these are, including myself, four 14, 15-year-old kids, 13, 14-year-old kids, pretty hungry. So <clears throat> we sat down, and a full loaf of bread and a couple of packs of uh, Sandwich meat later, and a gallon of milk, uh, in excess of a gallon of milk, actually, and, and about a gallon of tea later, we were, and, and a whole bag of chips about this big, later, we were all relatively full. Well, we went to my house, or went to my room, rather, to, uh, to listen to some music, and I turned some music on, and <clears throat> went to the bathroom, and on my way to the bathroom, heard my mom talking to my dad in the kitchen. And saying, get your coat on, go to the store, you've got to get some more food. Because she, she, you know, she knew that the kids were coming home, but she didn't realize that you know, four 14-year-old kids can consume a gallon of milk, a gallon of tea, a loaf of bread, and a couple of packages. She said, you know, she, I heard her telling them, get four or five you know, boxes of cereal and a couple more gallons, two or three gallons of milk, because you know, we've got to feed them breakfast before we send them home. I heard him heading out the back door saying, I'll be glad, glad these kids are gone. They're, you know, they're eating me out of house and home. <clears throat> and he was in the grocery business, but um, um, she sent him to, of course, our store was closed at night, so she sent him to, what, I think what his biggest problem was he didn't want to pay retail for anything. So she sent him to wherever, Kroger or White Store or, or some other grocery store, and it ticked him off to have to go pay, pay retail for, for cereal and for, for milk. But she didn't realize the, or she saw at, after the, that night was over that the next morning was going to be disastrous because there wasn't enough food for, to go around. So ordered him out the, out the door to go get some more, which he did, and, and everything ended up great. But she, um, I think, didn't realize the hunger of four, four 14-year-old boys all at one time. Didn't anticipate that and didn't really, wasn't really equipped to feed it. She tried the best she could, but wasn't really equipped to feed it, so sent him out for, for reinforcements and to bring in more groceries. That's the, kind of the scene here in the sixth chapter of, um, of Mark. And as we continue this walk through Mark, you've, you've all heard this story and read it. In fact, you, if you've been in church any time, you probably learned it when you were this high or this high about Jesus feeding the 5,000. Actually, it's in excess of 5,000. It's probably closer to twelve to 13,000 because there's 5,000 men present. So um, this story is, is, is a miracle in itself. But what I want you to see and glean from this is a couple of nuggets from the middle of the story that I think are going to change, hopefully, our outlook on how to feed the hungry. Recognizing the hungry, first of all, as ourselves, and recognizing the hunger in people around us, that it's our responsibility to feed as believers. So, let's read this text together and um, come back and see 
some things about a spiritual hunger, which has everything to do with us, and meeting a physical hunger, which has everything to do with other folks, our neighbor. Chapter 6 of Mark, um, beginning in verse 30, and we'll read down through verse 34. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Now, you remember last week we looked at his sending them out two by two to, to various towns and villages all around and sent them out two by two. And so this is them coming back from this mission journey that they had to report here in verse 30. They gathered around and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread to give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. And they found out and said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to all have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve baskets, or basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish, and the number of men who had eaten was five thousand. So as I say, this this whole scene is is about a lesson not only for the five thousand, but a lesson for the twelve. And I hope we'll glean some things about spiritual hunger and about physical hunger that we can take away first about spiritual hunger and this as i said this is this has to do about us and has to do with us spiritual hunger first of all i want you to see comes from a balanced life look at verse 30 and 31 the apostles gathered around jesus reported him all they had done and taught in other words they're they're spilling to him the results of this missionary journey then because so many people were coming and going they did not even have a chance to eat. He said, come by with me by, uh, by yourselves to a quiet place where we can get some rest. So you see this balance of, of, of ministry, this balance of working hard for the kingdom and pulling away for rest, for to have that, that hunger, spiritual hunger, refilled again. It comes to, to do with this idea, and I'll mention this more later. I've mentioned it before in times past about seeing our life as a sponge. And when we see our life as a sponge, we see our life being, being poured into and poured into and poured into. Yet, if it's never squeezed out, the sponge becomes full and we're not, we're not longing for anything else. We're not hungry for anything else. But the more we spend, the more we expend, the more that sponge is squeezed, the more hungry we are for something else to fill it up. And that's the very story that they're in. They, they, as we looked last week, they went out two by two. He sent them out said, do this and do this and do this and take the message here and gave them explicit instructions. They come back and report all of this to him, and they're, they're tired from their journey. They're exhausted from their ministry, and they're saying, here's what, here's what happened. Here's the, I'm sure you can imagine the stories. Here's the demons that were cast out. Here's the people that were healed. Here's the people that... And they're telling him all this story about all these things that have been going on. And he sees in them some fatigue from the expansion of energy, the expansion of, of, of themselves into someone else. So he says, let's pull away to a private place so that you can regain and refuel. You and I need to 
learn that lesson. Many of us live extremely unbalanced lives. If I pulled out your phone, your daytime, or your planner, or looked at, the, looked at the thing up on your refrigerator at home, it'd probably be full of a bunch of nice things, good things maybe even, but are they necessary? Sometimes you and I can and should say no to some things we need to say no to to have enough time to pull away with family, to pull away with spouse, to pull away with kids, to pull away even with friends and refuel and replenish and, and, and re-nourish ourselves for the journey that we face. And our lives are so out of balance. We, we have equated, and, and I think it's the enemy really, we have equated busyness with goodness in our culture. And I think the enemy is using busyness in us, even in believers, even church busyness. I mean, you know, not blessed churches who have something to do every now of the week, something's going on, I'm, I'm happy for them. But that's never going to be cross point. In fact, we want to encourage you to, to take whatever you're doing someplace else, not to come here with it. I hope you come here on Sundays. I hope you're fed. I hope you plug into a small group. I hope you're fed. But your life should be spent and squeezed out apart from here, not here. And so rather than think of a bunch of activities you can involve yourself in, we'd rather see you spend the investment in your family and in your friends and in the folks in your peer group and the folks at work that may not know him. So as you expend that energy, you need to be filled back up. And you're going to be hungry to be filled back up. But until we squeeze what's in the sponge out, we're never hungry for any more. So there's this balance that we need to walk of a balanced life. Um, when we're out of balance, we stop seeing results. That's the bottom line. We stop seeing fruit. And we wonder, why are we not bearing fruit anymore? And why are we not hungry anymore? And the reason we're not bearing fruit anymore and we're not hungry anymore is the sponge is full. And we've got to squeeze it out into the world, into the lives of our friends, into the lives of people around us. We're hungry for it to be filled back up again. The second thing is this. Not only does spiritual hunger come from a balanced life, but it comes as we pursue it. It comes as we pursue it. Look at what he says in verse 33. <clears throat> but many who saw them leaving, this is the crowd, recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. He's pulling away from the shore, <clears throat> heading to the other side to what he thinks is a quiet place for them. They anticipate where he's going, and they're running around to try and get there before he, he is. And so, and this is probably, as we see here later, in excess of 5,000, 5, at least 5,000 men, maybe as many as ten to twelve to 15,000 people, perhaps not all are running in, into that location, but many are. And so this, there's this contagious thing. And you, I mean, you, whenever, you, you knew what a, when a fight was going on in elementary school or in middle school. You know why? There was this huge crowd gathered around, a big circle gathered around, you know, and, Words were had, and, you know, guys are taking their shirts off, and, and girls are sitting their purse down, and, and there's this big crowd. Something's going on. That was probably the, that kind of synergy going on around these people running by the shore to get to the other side before he gets there, seeing where he's going and heading in that direction. Now, as we pursue it, you, we see that here in verse 33, they ran on foot um, from where they were to where they thought he was headed. When you and I come to the place where we're pursuing him, we're running after him because we realize he's the only one who can fill our hunger. We'll get it. We'll get our hunger filled. Until we realize that, we're going to try and fill it with probably a number of things, toys, trips, relationships. Um, we'll try and fill that hunger with things that will maybe last a short while and maybe, maybe feed us for a short while. But long term, he's the only one that can fill it. When we realize that, and he becomes the end of our pursuits, not more stuff, not more relationships, not a bigger, better, nicer, but him. When he becomes the pursuit of our heart, 
the hunger that we have will be filled. Now, thirdly, it's this. Not only from a balanced life and, and how we pursue it, but how we pursue it has everything to do, and then some, with whether or not we're effective. We need to pursue it with purpose. And that's his third point. It comes from a pursuit of purpose. Look at what he said in verse 34. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Like sheep without a shepherd. They had no direction, and it broke his heart. It broke his heart that this many people would come basically seeking a word from him that would add meaning to their lives. It broke his heart that their life was so empty that they needed to run after him. Now, he sees them, as, as this verse says, as a sheep without a shepherd. And there's, there's, I was trying to think of an easier, softer way to say this. To get what God wants you to get, to get a sense of purpose in your life, Pursue education, it's a great thing. Pursue experience, it's a great thing. Pursue the counsel of others, it's a great thing. But seeing God's purpose and direction from your life comes from His Word and His Spirit. And how those two things mesh together to give you a sense of peace about, this is what God has for me. This is why I was born, this is why I'm here. Now, flesh that out with others. Flesh that out in the world. Flesh that out with education. Flesh that out with with conversation. Try it. Test it over here. But the place you're going to find a sense of purpose and direction for your life is in this book and from His Spirit. And how those two, those two things mesh together, met together, I'll learn to talk in a minute, those two things mesh together to give you a sense of direction and purpose like you'll never have before. Now, some things may fill your tank from time to time. A vocation can do that. A career can do that. But only if it's the career He has called you to. Otherwise, it's going to be a paycheck. And it's going to be frustrating to you. Some of, some of you, that may be where you are tonight. It may be a paycheck. It may be a source of frustration. But not a sense of purpose, not a sense of call. So where do I find that? I get back to his word, and I get back to his spirit. His heart broke for them because they had no purpose. They had no sense of direction. They were like sheep without a shepherd. You know what? He longs for us to know that. It's not some carrot that he's dangling out here Say, know this many verses, be at church this many times, know this many songs, and I'll give it to you. No, he wants us to see his purpose and direction for us. He wants us to know that. And so if we dig for it in the right place, we're going to find it. If we dig for it in the wrong places, we're not. We may find temporary fulfillment, temporary joy, but we'll never find his sense of purpose and direction. Those are all good things, education, counsel, testing the waters, fine things, internships, great things. Don't stop doing them. But don't expect to find God's purpose for your life in the world. God's purpose for your life is going to be found in his word and from his spirit and how those, th- those two things speak to your heart. Now, all this is great. This, feeding this spiritual hunger is great. But I, I hope you and I, I hope we long for it. And, and we, by, by we, I mean you individually, me individually. And by we, I mean as a church collectively, cross point. I hope we long for something deeper than just fellowship. I hope we enjoy each other's fellowship when we come together. I hope we enjoy that at a deeper level in community group. But I hope we long for something more than fellowship. I really do because we miss the things, the deeper things God has for us because we're not hungry to chase them if we find fulfillment in fellowship. Nothing wrong with fellowship, but if we find fulfillment there spiritually, we'll never pursue anything deeper. We'll never be hungry to know His nature more than we know it now. So, If fellowship meets the need for us spiritually, and it's the end all, that's as deep as we ever grow. 
And I hope we long for something more than that. I hope you long for something more than that. hope I long for something more than that. I hope our church is known for something more than that, that as people come here and visit here and you invite them and they come and we grow and we do whatever God wants us to do. I hope that the thing we become known for is, man, they're longing for God's heart. They're longing to know God's heart, longing to know what he has for them as a church, as individuals. And they're not just congregating together to, to fellowship. Nothing wrong with that. I hope it's great. I hope it increases. Hope it becomes better and deeper. But our fellowship with him is, is what's of paramount importance. And not just as an experience, as a Sunday experience, but as a lifestyle. Not something we just come to say, where's God? But as a lifestyle that we're Monday we experience his joy. Tuesday we experience his fulfillment. Wednesday we experience his wisdom. Thursday we experience his passion. And on and on, the nature of God becomes real to us because it, it's where we live. It's in the decisions we make. It's in the relationships we have. And it isn't just at church. It isn't based on an experience. It's a lifestyle for us because we're pursuing deeper things than just fellowship. Spiritually speaking, that's how to pursue the hunger that we need to pursue. We need to pursue it with a balanced life. We need to pursue it, and we need to pursue it with a sense of purpose. God will fill that hunger in us as we do that. Here it is, biblically laid out in front of us. Um, now, this physical hunger shifts here to the crowd, off of the 12 and to the crowd. There's a great lesson for the 12. We'll see that in just a minute. But his focus shifts here to someone else, and ours needs to as well as, as this context of the Scripture changes. What I want you to see here initially out of verse 37 is that the physical hunger is always deeper than what money can buy. The physical hunger is always deeper than what money can buy. 37 says, but he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much bread for them to have something to eat? Getting fulfillment from him, getting a sense of hunger fed from him is always deeper than what money can buy. Then the wrong question to ask, and it's the question most of us ask, but the wrong question to ask when we see God wanting us to pursue something different, wanting us to pursue something deeper, wanting us to pursue something that we've never tried before, and pursue, maybe it's, a, it's an area of service, maybe it's a ministry, maybe it's, I don't know what it is, it may be plugging into serenity, it may be plugging into, to, to uh, save families, it may be plugging into angelic, it may be planning to be a part of our Nicaragua team that goes next, I don't know what it is for, <clears throat> for you, but as you sense God's moving and pushing you and urging you in a different direction, in a deeper direction than you've experienced before, that comes at a cost. And the cost is we have to see that it's deeper than financial. In fact, the wrong question to ask is, how much will it cost? The right question to ask is this, how much do I have? Not how much will it cost, but how much do I have? Because what these guys are about to see, what the 12 are about to see, is it's going to cost them everything they have to feed these people. And that never dawned on them. The, the question they're asking is financial. It's not personal, but he turns it personal. The answer is personal. Yes, the question was, how much is going to Should we go and get this much money to feed it? And he turns the question on him, you feed them. Don't go, don't go about the money. You feed them. And we look, we find in the next verse that they discover <laughs> he really is expecting us to feed them. He wasn't, he wasn't joking when he said to, 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 to for, you know, it to come out of us. Which brings us to the second point in this, and that's this. A physical hunger should always cause us to take inventory. It should always cause us to take inventory. That's what he says in verse 38. How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. Let me tell you what I believe. 
This is speculation on my part. It's, well, it's not very much speculation because it's, I think it's, I'm going to show you why in a minute. I believe he was asking them for their food, the twelve's food. I don't think he was asking them, go and see how many things you can glean from the, from the several thousand people that are here on the hillside. I think he was saying, in fact, my, my own personal belief is here, because he was continuing as the further he went in ministry to pull Peter, James, and John aside, I think his direction and probably was, was probably to them. I think their question was probably from them to him. You mean you want us to, you know, those three go up and the other nine are saying, you go ask him. Ask him, see what he... And, and those three are going up and saying, you, you, you want us to go get a, this eight months wages to feed these people and all this? And he tells, I believe the three of them, you guys go see what you got. Go to the other nine. Go check out what, what the 12 of you have, and you bring all of it to me. And I think, I think what, what, what began as a financial question becomes personal as he turns to them and said, you feed them. We're supposed to feed them? Yeah. How much do you have? How much do you have? And the real question there is, I want, the real answer there is, I want all you have. It don't matter whether it's five loaves and two fish, no matter whether it's 30 loaves, no matter whether it's one loaf and a half a bite, I want all you have. In essence to say, Everything you have belongs to me, or it should. Every resource you have, everything you hold in your hand, every dream you've ever dreamed, every ambition you have, everything in your life, I need to own. When I own it, you're about to see some incredible things I can do with it. Until I own it, you'll never see those things. And they're about to learn a great, great lesson. Now, I'll tell you what else I believe. I believe that this, as we read this story earlier, they're coming to tell him of these, these, these two-by-two two mission journeys that they've had. And he sees that they hadn't eaten. In fact, the Scripture says they hadn't eaten yet. And so he, he's sensitive to that and said, let's, let's go away to the other side and so you can rest and get something to eat. You know what? I'll tell you what I believe? I believe they never ate. I believe the crowd ran around and met them there. He gets out of the boat, has compassion on the crowd. The 12, these 12 guys have still never eaten. And he's going on probably for some period of time here, at least maybe an hour or two. And he's teaching them, the Scripture says, many things. Teaching them many things. And so the disciples, the 12, are saying, you know, I thought we were getting away to the other side to go get something to eat. And here he is teaching again to these thousands of people. And he, 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 could, he, could, he cares nothing about us. He gives no flop of anything, of whether we're hungry, whether we're tired, whether we, we sent us out, we come back, we tell these stories about what. He, he don't give a rip about us, does he? And I really think that's the, that's the mindset they have because I think that's why he turns the tables on them when it's time to feed all these folks. Because they say, they, they initiate all of this. In fact, they're probably asking, you know, shouldn't we send them home to get something to eat? Their, their, their subliminal purpose probably is, we're hungry. And until they leave, we're not going to get anything to eat. We've already seen the program here. So isn't it a good time for them to leave and go get something to eat? You know, I'm sure they're all hungry. Bless them and tell them, say a benediction. Send them. In fact, that's what the message version says. They encourage him to say a benediction over the folks so that they know it's time to go. Let's go home. And he says, no. He says, um, let's feed them here. What do you have? You feed them. What do you How much do you have? And I really believe Peter, James, and John finally get it. And they go back to these other nine and they say, he's wanting the 12 of us to feed all these people. Every one of them. Because he just said, what do you have? And he told us, go back and see. So what do we got? And I think among those 12, they come up with five loaves and two fish. I think that's what was for supper that they were supposed to eat on the other side of the lake. And he says, I want it all. I want the five loaves and two fish you were supposed to eat, and we're going to feed these thousands of people with it. Put yourself in that situation. You've been hungry probably for a period of maybe 
certainly a number of hours, maybe even a couple of days. And here's your food <laughs> that he's saying you feed them out of your own stash. And so he's asking for all your stash, not a couple of loaves and a fish. All five and both fish. Wants the whole deal to be brought up to him to feed the whole, the whole crowd of folks. Now, you can put yourself in their case. As I said, that's far greater than four 14-year-old hungry kids in my mom's kitchen. Uh, this is getting pretty serious because they're taking food out of their own stomachs to give to these folks that have, have upset and listened to his teaching and are no doubt hungry. Um, here's, I think, the, the real question of what he's trying to get them to see. The, 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 the meaning behind his saying to them, you feed them. What do you have? Go get all you have and bring it to me. I think, I think the real message there is saying, and they'll get it in just a minute, but they haven't gotten it yet. What he's trying to get them to see is, is life is greater than the, than the sum of your accumulations. It is more about what you have given away rather than what you've accumulated. It's more about what you have invested in someone else than what you have garnered for yourself. It's more about even what you have poured into someone you may never even know and never even meet, even than your own children, your own family. Because he just asked them, I want all you got. I want all your food. And I think that the, the, the hidden message there is, until we're willing to give him everything, every relationship, every dollar, every dime, every child, every career, every dream, every hope, we'll never see him do something miraculous with it. But when we do, when we're willing to give away everything we have, we start to see him do some incredible things. But until we get to that point, we see life as the sum of our accumulations. In fact, read the obituaries sometime. Um, you'll start to read those more regularly when you get into your 50s and 60s because you'll see friends. You, you'll be looking for friends. But w- when you start to read the obituaries, you start to see what is of value to people because they start to list it. He was on this board, and they did this, and he owned this company, and he did, you know. And that's all good. It's all nothing wrong with any of that. But you start to see what folks value over relationships, over people. And they start to value their accomplishments. They start to value the, the positions they held and the titles they held over the people they reached and the folks they influenced. Their life did. And he's saying here to them, um, this is not you're, you're giving your meal away. This is you're making an investment in something I'm about to change totally that you'll never see again ever before. You're making an investment. And that's what investments are. Investments, you take something and you're speculating that something good's going to happen with it. It's that way financial. When you invest in a 401k, you invest in the market, you invest in mutual funds, you, you're taking something and you're laying it out there in hopes that there's a good return. And that's exactly what he's doing to them to say, I want all of it. And I want you to see all of it as an investment in, the, in, in all of these people being fed. You're about to see something incredible happen. Are you ready for it? And so they do. They bring him all five loaves and both fish. And you know the rest of the story. But the third thing is this. We need to see this investment that it's, it's an investment in multiplication. In fact, he points to that in verses 41 and 42. He says, Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves, and he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he also divided up two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. You may tell you what I believe happened. I may be totally wrong. But I believe he blessed these loaves. And I believe those five loaves... We don't know how many baskets were around, but we know there were at least 12 baskets full gathered up. So I don't know if the 12 baskets came from the 12 disciples. 
don't know if the 12 baskets came from the crowd. don't know where the 12 baskets came from. But you know what? I believe there were more baskets than 12. So anyway, all that to say, he, he blesses these, 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 these loaves of bread and starts handing them to these disciples. You know what I believe they saw? At every, to, 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 to every basket that was handed to, to every one of those 12, I think they saw a full basket of bread after he blessed it. And here they go walking out with, oh, this is, this is pretty cool. You know, five loaves, five loaves have now turned into probably 30. And he hands another basket to the next. Wow, five loaves have turned into 30 more. And he hands another basket. And, wow, five loaves have now turned into 90. Or now turned, and I don't know how many baskets there were, but several thousand people ate and were filled from the bread and the fish. So there were thousands and thousands of loaves of bread. There were thousands and thousands of pieces of fish that were multiplied for all these people to eat and be satisfied. Now, we need, seeing that investment in multiplication, I think, is, is a great motivation for us to learn to give away those private areas, to give away those private things, to give away those accumulations, to give away those dreams, to give away those families, to give away those kids, to give away everything that we own, everything that's ours, and lay them in his hands. Why? Because he multiplies it, and he makes it come back over and over and over and over again, and the investment is far greater than what it costs us to lay it at his feet. Because our return, our return goes generation after generation after generation many times when it comes to relationships. Um, the principle here that I want you, if you're going to write a word down here after multiplication, write down the word reproduction. Because what he does here is teaches them this, this, this idea of reproduction to say, I'm using you to pour yourself into someone else. And What do you think happened to these thousands of folks that saw five loaves of bread and two fish become enough food for them all? You think they told this story? I guarantee they told this story over and over and over and over and over again. You know why? Because 12 guys trusted all they had to feed all these folks. And over and over and over again, this story was told. Reproducing itself into the life of someone else who was not there. That story was, you know what Joe told me? He was on the hillside the other day. They all chased Jesus around the other side of the lake. He was on the hillside the other day. Twelve guys trying to get rid of all of us, trying to send us all home. Jesus grabs their lunch, feeds everybody with it. We're all full. Twelve baskets taken up. You know, you're crazy. You're nuts. You know what, Joseph? And that story is told over and over and over and over again. This idea of reproduction starts to happen. And we've said this a number of times here to say, the more you tell your story, the more you tell of what God has done in your life, how the gospel has changed your life, how his story has changed your story, consequently your future, the more that story is told over and over again, and the more that story becomes theirs. And they start to see, here's what God's done in me. And the other person starts to, who's heard your story say, here's what God's done in me. And that, that energy, that spiritual synergy starts to build itself up. You know what? God's done some things in me too. I didn't recognize it until I heard what he'd done in you, but I just, I just thought that was fate. I thought that was chance. I thought that was luck. No, it was God. He did this and this and this and this in my life because I know him. And as this, this idea of multiplication is, it becomes contagious. And, you, and I'm going to tell you, ten to 12,000 people, that story was told to probably twenty to 50,000 people. And, and on and on this story goes of what Jesus did with everything these 12 had. And you know what the story, the, the powerful story in them is, give him everything you got. Because you know what? Five loaves and two fish wasn't enough to feed 12 guys, much less 5,000, because they all ate, and they were full too. From their own blessing, from their own giving, God blessed them and blessed everybody else with it. 
That's this idea of multiplication. That's this concept and this principle of reproduction. I've, I've developed a, some, some leadership thing that we're taking our, our church leaders through here. And the final principle that we're looking at, we're looking at seven principles of leadership, and the final principle is the principle of reproduction in the sense if we're not reproducing ourselves, then everything God does in us dies with us. But if we're reproducing ourselves and what he has done in us, he can also do in someone else. And what he's done in that someone else, he can also do in someone else. And they can do in someone else. And, some, and so this idea of reproducing ourselves and what God has done and spoken into our hearts and into our lives, done for us, in us, through us, doesn't die with us. It lives beyond us, both generationally and relationally. It lives beyond us, and it should. And these guys saw that. What a, what a powerful illustration of that. Finally, fourthly, the physical hunger always reveals there's more. <laughs> a physical hunger always reveals there's more. Verse 43 speaks to that. The disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces and bread and fish, and the number of men who had eaten was, was around 5,000. Here's what I want you to see in this and what I think God wants us, wanted those 12 to see. And this lesson was for those 12 primarily. It was for, for the, everybody that ate, but it was primarily for these 12. You know what he wanted them to see? This God that's standing in front of you that just fed all these folks. And, so he, and I'm sure he probably told them, grab some baskets and go pick up the extra, extras so that stuff's not wasted. So they go pick up the extras, and they bring it back, and it's 12 baskets. Well, more than they ever started with. You know what I really wanted him to, I think he wanted them to see? Your God is a God of abundance. Your God is a God of incredible, immeasurable abundance. In fact, Ephesians 5.30 says that he is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ever ask or even dream of. New American Standard says, exceedingly abundantly beyond all you could ever think or hope for. That's our God. That's what he wanted them to see. You are serving, you're following in me, in following me. You're following a God of abundance. You're following a God that says there is always more. Doesn't matter what I've experienced, there's always more. Doesn't matter what I know, there's always more. Doesn't matter what I've learned, there's always more. And what he's saying to them is this, just trust me. Trust me that this this concept of you're giving all of yourself to me and me multiplying it and reproducing it over and over and over again into others' lives and your own, you'll see a greater abundance in your life of me than you've ever seen before. Where did it all start? In my my willingness to give away everything I had to him. That's where it all starts. It doesn't start with some some sense of calculation. It doesn't start with asking how much it's going to cost. That's what they ask. He said, don't matter. Forget the cost. Give me all you've got. I will multiply all you've got in a way that you, it's going to blow your mind. And it did. I'm, I guarantee you that, that his coming to, to him, it, it blew their minds that he fed over 5,000. Period. It blew their minds that he fed over 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. It blew their minds that he fed over 5,000 with five loaves and two fish and 12 basketfuls of extras worth. So over and over and over again, this, the further this story goes, the bigger it gets and the bigger God becomes to them. And as you see, his, his takeaway from them is, I'm a God of a... Don't try and put me in a box. Don't try and measure me. Don't try and calculate me. Don't try and figure me out. Don't try and make me fit your mold of who I'm supposed to be in your life. Get me away from Sunday and get me on the other day. Don't try and make me fit into some kind of box that you've conveniently thought... Here's what God's supposed to be with me. I'm beyond that. In fact, I'm so far beyond that, you can't even dream of it. 
You can't even think about it. Your mind can't get your arms around it to, to a great extent. And he says in them, I'm a God of abundance. The greater, you, the greater you see me as a God of abundance, the easier it's going to be to give me all of it. Until you see me as a God of abundance, it becomes a risk. When you see me as a God of abundance, there's no risk involved whatsoever. You want to give me all you've got because you've seen what I do with it. I do better than you do with what you have. I do better with relationships than you do. I do better with money than you do. I do better with marriages than you do. I do better with vocations than you do. I do better with all these things than you do. So if you'll give me all these things, I'll multiply them in abundance in your life and make them bear fruit that you're not bearing now on your own. The, the real backward question that I hear him asking them is, how is, how is that one? How's that wanting to send these guys away to, to get something on their own and you eat on your own? How's that working for you now? What do you think of that idea now? After all this is over, after the 12 baskets came in. I don't know. The scriptures doesn't say you asked that question, but I'm, that's just in my own mind that he, he probably would like to ask them, what do you think of your plan now to send them home and, and you, you try and feed 12 guys with five loaves and two fish? How's that look to you now? So as the lessons come in our life over and over and over, the more we trust God, the more he comes through. The more we trust him with, the greater evidence we see of his work. Until we're willing to do that, we miss so much of what he has for us. Um, there's, there's so many great lessons in this passage, and I, and I hope you've, you've gleaned a, maybe a couple. Here's what I want you to leave with. Um, when we feed the spiritual hunger in us, we'll be able and we're better equipped to feed the physical hunger in others. You see, the, the spiritual hunger shifted from them to the thousands. They were ill-equipped. They had five loaves and two fish and hungry and tired and probably a little bit angry. They hadn't had a chance to eat. And so the shift moves from them to these other folks. And here's what I think he's trying to get us to see in all this, and that is until our spiritual hunger is filled, We'll never be able to effectively minister to someone else. We'll never be able to effectively fill someone else's need for him. And that's what he's called us to do. So where do we need to begin? We need to begin with our own, with our own spiritual hunger being filled. We need to begin with this sense of balance that we talked about earlier, of somebody pouring into our life and our life being squeezed out into others. We need to begin with, with this idea that our lives need to, they need to pursue him. They need to run around the seashore after him to get where he's going. They need to have a sense of purpose, need to have a sense of direction to it. Our lives do. And on and on and on this story goes. So here's the question I want to close with tonight. And, and this, is, this is your own introspective response. Nobody can answer this question for you but you. But have you lost your spiritual hunger or perhaps did you never have any? Have you lost what you had maybe early in your spiritual journey or did you never have any? Here's what I want to give you as a remedy for that based on what God has said here in his word tonight. And that's this. If, you, if you're longing to get it back or you're longing to get it for the first time, you're longing to develop a hunger, you're longing to get the hunger that you had for him back, here's what I want to admonish you to do based on what he said in his word. Start serving. Start serving. Squeeze the sponge out. Get the sponge out of this church. Get it out of a community group somewhere with... Get it out into the world and start squeezing it out. Start serving. Now maybe you need to, maybe it looks like VBS. <laughs> maybe it looks like one of the, you know, Angelica or Nicaragua or Serenity or 
uh, Safe Family. Maybe it looks like one of these ministries we're partnering with. Maybe it looks like something here at Crosspoint. I don't know what it looks like for you. That's between you and God. What I want you to see is the lesson he was trying to teach these 12 and say, give it up. Start squeeze the sponge out. I want everything in the sponge squeezed out. Not anything kept back for yourself. Squeeze the whole sponge out. I'm going to fill it back up for you. In fact, it's going to run over the way I fill it back up. But not until you squeeze it out. So my admonishment to you is this. If you've lost your hunger or you never had it and you're looking for a place to start or looking for it to be reclaimed, regained, start serving. Find a place to serve. Get your focus off of yourself and onto someone else. Get it off of our, of, of our needs, my own, me, my little world, and get it on someone else. God's going to start to use that and multiply it and reproduce it in miraculous ways when we start squeezing it out. It hurts sometimes, you know? It hurts to be, squ- to be squeezed, doesn't it? Sometimes. It hurts. Especially if the squeezing is going on, going on by, God put me in this situation. I'm here to serve these BBS kids. And that gummit, you're going to... Sometimes it's, sometimes it's a little hard. Sometimes it, sometimes it costs us money. Sometimes it costs us time. Sometimes it costs us some, some abilities, uh, whatever. But there's some, always some cost involved, isn't there, to being squeezed out. There's always some investment and some, some maybe five, maybe all of my food. You know, your mom may be sending her husband out to the, to the store to get more food too. There may be, there's some cost involved. Some cost involved in feeding someone else's hunger. But it's a cost worth paying. And he's saying to them over and over and over, I can be trusted. You know why? Because I am a God of abundance. I will more than fill the void that you leave. I will more than fill you back up from what you, how you grow tired and weary of serving. I will more than give you what you need because I'm a God of abundance. We never learn that lesson until we start to expend some energy. And I hope we see that tonight. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Crosspoint Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ. 